Thank you, Brad and team. You can go ahead and be seated. Man, it's so good that we have musicians who not only play well, but can also write well. And so, Brad, you and Tim and Mandy, right, writing that song? That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, you can give a hand for them to leading us in worship this morning. So super good. Well, if you are uh, new with, uh, here at Crossroads, I want to welcome you. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's so good uh, for all of us to be able to join together wherever we may be, whether that be online or uh, here in-house today. We are in week uh, four of a five-week series that we're called Making Money Work, where we're specifically looking at uh, what does it look like to manage our personal finances well. We thought that as we begin this new year together, that we should sit back and kind of look at what God's Word has to say about our personal finances. And as we've gone through this, we've really looked at kind of five big ideas in this series, or we're looking through five big ideas in this series. And if you've been a part of this for the last couple of weeks, then you probably are starting to know these ideas well. If you are new with us, this serves kind of as a, as a starting point for you. But as we've walked through this series, in week one, we saw that when it comes to the financial decisions that we make, that every decision that we make, every decision that we make, ultimately shares something or tells something about our heart. That's where we began. And then in week two, we looked at what it looks like to find contentment, satisfaction in this world. And we said that so many of us, the like, drive of our lives is really to find our, our uh, drive in our discontentment, right? That we're always chasing something new, shinier, bigger, better in our lives. And that oftentimes that's like the driver of our lives. And yet when we step back and take a look at scripture, when it comes to real satisfaction in our life, it has very little to do with how much stuff or wealth that we have in our life, but that really godliness paired with contentment uh, brings about the satisfaction that we all long for in our lives. Then last week, we looked at debt, the stress that comes with it, and how we deal with it. Today, we're going to talk about giving our money away, and then next week, we're going to talk about some priorities, why we look at uh, budgeting. And so today, as we get going into this, really what we're looking at is the theme of generosity in our lives and how it comes together in our lives, that we're going to take a look and discover together what generosity is all about. Now, as we get started in this, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, there's this pretty powerful verse when it comes to generosity. The Apostle Paul is writing, or not writing, he's actually with a church in Ephesus. It's a church that he planted, and he comes back a few years later, and he's sitting down with the leadership team there. They're eating their Chick-fil-A around a table, and he says to them this, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That Paul, looking at these leaders in this church some 2,000 years ago, looking at us today, he says, this would be wise for you to live by, that this would be a, a wise thing for you to understand, this would be a good way for you to live your life, that it is more blessed to what? To give than it is to? All right, let's do it again, that it's more blessed to? Yep, then it is too. Yeah, Paul says you would be wise to listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, when it comes to this word blessing, this word blessing means to be in a state of happiness or joy. That's what the word blessing means. And as Jesus says this, and as Paul reiterates it, what he's not saying is that it's not a blessing to receive. In fact, any of us who have ever received anything, and I would imagine that's most of us, right, whether it's a birthday gift or 
or a Christmas present or some like thing that just arrived in our, in, in our, in our life. Like for most of us, we've received something and all of us who have received something would say, you know what? There was a blessing that came with that gift, that, that to receive is a blessing. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's, it's not that it's not a blessing to receive, but he's saying it's a greater blessing that you will be more blessed, that you will experience more happiness, that you will experience more joy in your life when you give rather than when you receive. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So today, as we jump into this, we're going to continue to look at how do we make our money work and discover together what generosity is all about. Now, admittedly, I know that typically when a church talks about this subject in particular, it usually means that a big offering Sunday is like right around the corner, right? Like, like I just know that's typically how it goes. And so if you're here today and you're starting to get a little nervous and panicky and looking for the exits, I just want to assure you that that's not the goal today, all right? This isn't like a big offering Sunday. This isn't big gift Sunday. There's nothing like that happening. That's not even the heart of this series. Like the heart of this series truly is what does it look like to make our money work? And that specifically, we're looking at the Bible and God to understand how is it that our money works. And apparently, at least according to the Bible, that generosity is a big part of making our money work in this world. And so today, as we jump in, I want to start with kind of a series of questions for us to think through concerning generosity and what we think about generosity, all right? So here's the first scenario. Let's say that somebody has made a lot of money in their life, and they take some of that money, $500,000, and they give it to a particular university to have their children designated as recruits to guarantee admission into that college. Is that generosity or fraud? Fraud, yeah, we saw this play on the news, right, with the college scandal. Here's another one, maybe a little bit harder, a little bit closer to home. Let's say someone gets a healthy bonus from work, and they come to the pastor of the church, and they say, I want to give this big bonus to the church, but here's the deal. You can never play drums in service ever again. Is that generosity or manipulation? Manipulation, you're right. That story actually comes out of this very church. Let's give you a third one. Let's say that there is someone who rarely attends church and they decide to come on Christmas Eve. They make about $65,000 a year and as the Christmas Eve offering is being passed, they throw in a 20. Is that generosity or guilt? See, my point in asking these questions is to help us discern what generosity actually is. That when it comes to our culture, generosity is defined pretty broadly, isn't it? But when we look to the scriptures and we go, what is, it, what is it to mean? What does it really mean to be generous? One of the best places that we can go is actually 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, Paul is writing. He's writing to a different church this time in Corinth. And he writes these words to them explaining generosity. He says this, that you will be enriched in every way. That God is going to enrich you in your lives. That you are going to be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. That Paul says that you're going to be enriched in every way in your life so that you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In other words, Paul is saying that when it comes to generosity, it's a state of the heart, not as much as a state of your wallets. That, genera that generosity is a state of your heart, not one's wallets. 
that when it comes to the definition of generosity, it's this, that generosity is resting in the knowledge that God is the provider of all things. And in that provision, we give lavishly out of it. That's what generosity is, is that we trust in the provision of God for all things in our life, that he's gonna provide for all things in our lives. And out of that provision of God, that God gives to us so generously that we are going to then give lavishly out of it. That as God gives, we're gonna give out of it. And then get this, Paul says, Paul says, when you live a life of generosity in this way, that your generosity will actually result in people giving thanksgiving to God. Why? Because they, because they are blessed through you. That as you give, as you are generous in your life, then all of these people start giving praise and thanksgiving to their God, to God in their lives, because you have become a blessing in their lives. And so here's the question that we need to ponder. If we know, at least if we can at all admit, that generosity is good, that there's something good about generosity, and if we can all at least admit that we've experienced times in our life where we've at least experienced that it is a blessing to give to others, even at times more so than when we receive, the question that we have to wrestle with is why don't we do it more? Why don't we do it more? Why don't we live lives of more generosity? Why aren't we more generous in our lives? Like seriously, why don't we do it more often? And when we think about that question, I think there's probably two reasons why. The first one is that we just simply don't feel like we have enough, right? That maybe it's not really anything to do with your heart. That for many of us, maybe you would say that, that I would love to do more, but we're just kind of struggling right now. I mean, inflation in this country is at an all-time high, right? I mean, groceries cost more, gas costs more, houses cost more. Just this last week, I was talking to a staff member here at Crossroads. Her and her husband are looking to buy their first house. And last week, they looked at a house, 1,100 square feet, going for over $400,000. That's ridiculous, right? That's just crazy. That's the madness that we're living in as a culture. And your heart might be in the right place, but you just don't see how you can be more generous in your life. You just, you just look at your life and go, I just don't know what it looks like to even be more generous. I don't even know that I have the ability. That's a good reason. The second reason, maybe in the way that we'd answer this question, and what I would argue is probably the actually the bigger reason, is that we don't actually subscribe to what I call the principle of the extra. The principle of the extra. See, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives this powerful teaching and what we call a parable to explain this principle to us. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, Jesus is with this crowd of people and he looks out at them and he says this, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Now we looked at this a few weeks ago. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now logically, when we read these words of Jesus, we understand this, don't we? Like we realize that our life is not equal to how much stuff that we have, that the meaning of life is not in the abundance of our stuff. Logically, we all know that, but practically, we all live differently, don't we? That practically, we all live as such that my life's meaning is equal to the amount of wealth or stuff that I have in this life. And Jesus comes along and he teaches this principle, and he says you can determine whether or not that you're living that way by keeping on an eye on what you're doing with your extra stuff. Now this is a powerful teaching that he gives to us in a parable, and if you're new to church world, a parable is just a made up story by Jesus that he would use to teach a greater truth 
about the greater world. That's all a parable was, to made up story to teach a great truth. That's what a parable is. And so Jesus, looking at this crowd, telling them that your life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions, he begins to tell them a story of how this works out. So verse 16, he says this. He shares with them a parable. Saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. So you have this rich guy, let's just for argument's sake call him John Dutton and he lives in Montana, right? He's got a big ranch up there. And he's super rich, he's super rich, and his land produced a ton, and oh John, he came into so much more, right? Like this plentiful bounty, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Like I already have enough, now what am I gonna do with all of this extra? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, here's this guy. He's already rich. And we see O. John Dutton. He's got a problem, doesn't he? He says, I have no place to store all of my extra crops. That I have this extra stuff, and, and I don't know what to do with it. My basement's full. My attic's full. My garage is full. All of my barns are full. What am I going to do with all of the extra. It's just sitting outside, wasting away. How am I gonna use the extra? Verse 18. And he said, I got a plan. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And we look at this verse and we go, good plan, John. Like, good plan. I mean, if you can create barns big enough to hold all of your extra stuff, then wow, like you must be doing really well, that you are set for life, that you have enough to consume for yourself, you have enough for your kids to consume, you have enough to consume for later in life, you have enough for your grandkids and maybe even your great-grandkids to consume. I mean, come on. Isn't all of the extra for us? Isn't the point of having extra so that, I can, so that I can, you know, provide for myself, my needs, my wants? Isn't God so good? I've been incredibly blessed that I have to build bigger barns, verse 20. But God said to him, fool. And we go, Jesus, like, I'm not sure those are the words that I would use with this guy. I mean, we look out at, at this guy and we go, we go, I would argue that he's blessed. I mean, look at the abundance that he has in his life. Like he's so blessed that he's actually got to go bigger in this world. See, the Hebrew people believed much like we Americans believed. And it's this, this belief that we have that when it comes to God, the more wealth that you have, the more money that you have, the more blessed you are, that the favor of God is upon you. And so consequently, we also believe that if you're poor and struggling in this life, then God's favor is not upon you, that you're actually cursed by God. And just so that we're all on the same page, that is nowhere taught anywhere in scripture, that belief, that's just something that we made up. You won't find it anywhere in the scriptures. What you have in the abundance of your wealth, what you have in the abundance of your possessions is not a reflection of God's blessing on your life necessarily. And so here we have this guy. And Jesus says that God says that you're a fool. And we go, Jesus, like, I'm not so sure that that's, that that's how I see it. I mean, he's taking care of himself. He's talking about taking care of his family. I mean, we're talking generational wealth here. And Jesus says, no, God says he's a fool. Why? 
because he doesn't understand why he has the extra. And even though from the world's perspective, the abundance of stuff that this guy has, the abundance of wealth that this guy has, makes him, makes him in our world the envy of other people, Jesus looks out and he says, no, you've got to realize that this guy, he's just bought a lie. He just bought a lie that he believes that his life consists in the abundance of his possessions, which means that he's serving his stuff, which means that he's a slave to his stuff, that he's bought the lie that this culture has sold him. You fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? Whose will they be now? Now, it's important for us, as we walk through this story, to realize that when God calls this man a fool, it's not because he's rich. That's not the problem here. That's not the issue here. Being rich is not a sin. God calls him a fool because he didn't understand why he had so much extra that he thought that it was all for himself. And God comes in and he says, look, dude, your time on this earth is over. It's over. It's not that you've run out of money. It's not that you've run out of stuff. It's that you've run out of time. Your life is demanded of you. And then God asked this man a question that we should at least all ponder in our lives. He says, and the things that you've prepared for yourself, whose will they be now? All the extra that you have in your life, who will get that extra? Who will get the things that you've prepared? In other words, who will have your extra? That you assumed, you assumed that all of this was for yourself. And so now that you've gone and you prepared and you build the bigger barns and you put all of your extra in that, who gets it now? And the implied answer to this question is someone else. Not because you're generous, but because you're dead. Not because you gave it away, but because you simply left it. And Jesus leaves this made-up story, and he looks at the crowd that he's speaking to, and he says in verse 21, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself, these are harsh words, and is not rich toward God. So too is it with you who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And as we try to understand what Jesus is saying by looking at his life and his ministry, we have to understand that Jesus is not teaching here against preparing for the future. He's not saying that you shouldn't have savings and investments and prepare for the future. He's not, he's not saying that at all. He's not teaching that. What Jesus is saying here is that this is how it's going to be for anyone who thinks that everything that comes his or her way is for his or her consumption in this world and forgets to be rich towards God. To which we step back and go, okay, Jesus, like, like I understand like the importance of this. I see in this verse how serious this is, but, but how are we rich toward God? And thankfully, Jesus answers it for us just a few verses later in verse 33. He says this, I want you to go sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And in this statement, what Jesus does is he draws a direct line from what it looks like to be rich in God to meeting the needs of the poor. A direct line to being truly rich in God looks like helping in the needs of the poor. And we go, okay, Jesus, well, well how do we do that? He goes, well, you, you sell your possessions, to which we go, all of them? And Jesus goes, no. No, but take a look at your life. Where's the extra in your life? Extra money, extra stuff. What I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to sell some of that stuff that you don't need and I want you to give it to someone else who is in need. See, in God's economy, how God designed money to work, he says that when you have more than what you need, I want you to give it to those who are in need. And when I do that, when I'm generous making sure that someone else has enough, Jesus says, that is treasure in heaven. That's what it means to be truly rich. And that's why I can stand up here today without any hesitation. That generosity is fantastic. It is a deeply satisfying state to be in because it always is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And in your generosity, you will experience what it means, truly means to be rich in God. And as your pastor, man, I want that for you. I want that so badly for you to to know and to understand what it means to be truly rich in God. That I want you to live lives that are generous. And I want this sermon to be practical. And so here's a few ways, if you're interested in growing in your generosity, here's here's some ways that you can do it. Number one, this is the foundation of, of where we start. This is Giving 101. This is for beginners of you who are just starting to follow Jesus. The place that we start is that we learn to trust God with the tithe. That we learn to trust God with the tithe. This is where we start. It's the beginning point. If we're ever going to trust God with the tithe, we have to understand what the tithe is. That when it comes to the tithe, it comes out of the Hebrew word masar, and it simply means one-tenth. That one-tenth. We see this best used in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It says this, that one-tenth of all the tithes of the land, every tithe of land, one-tenth of all the land, whether of seed or the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, the principle of the tithe is this, that if I receive $100, technically the first $10 is not mine. It's God's. That I give that $10 as an act of my worship. That giving is an expression of my obedience, of my trust, and of my gratitude. And I know for so many of us, like, that sounds absolutely crazy, doesn't it? Like, we give our kids an allowance in the Manning household, and, about, and we make them, uh, in the allowance, they have to save 10%, and they have to give 10%, and then they can have the other 80 to live on however they want to live with it. And about every three or four months, we have to sit our kids down and explain to them why the tithe isn't crazy. (laughs) Like, I understand how it sounds. In fact, when it comes to the tithe, it's the only place in all of Scripture that God says, test me on this. You give and test me on this. And I think that the reason that he tells us to test him on this is because he realized how, like, freaked out we would be by it. Like, when Sarah and I, my wife and I, became married about 20 years ago, When we saw like 10%, like that was significant for us. 
that when we first got married, we lived broke. We made $1,305 a month between the two of us. Like even 20 years ago, that was broke living. And we looked at this and, and we looked at the tithe and what God was asking us to give. And the question that we asked over and over again is like, God, are you serious? Like, like 10%? How in the world? How in the world are we going to do this together? And eventually we had to come to the point where we said that in order to do this, that we are going to have to totally and completely 100% rearrange our life around what God wants from us. And so it's what we did. We decided that we would worship and trust God with our first, with our best, and that we would trust him with the rest. That we would trust God with our first and our best, and that we would trust him with the rest. And I really do believe that in my life that God can use 90% that is blessed more so than the 100% that I just have to do on my own. The first 10% goes to God. And if I want to grow in generosity, then I'm going to worship him with the tithe. And in our 20 years of marriage together, whether I've been on staff at a church or not, we have never, as a family, we have never given less than 10% of our income to the local church that we're a part of that it's such a value in the Manning household that we even teach our kids it. And the reality is, is that when we come together as a body and we give in this way to the local church, the way that God expresses that we need to give to the local church, that we are able to reach needs and help needs in this community, that we get to experience as, as a body, as a corporate body, a family, what it means to experience the true riches of God. I mean, just in the last couple of years, we've given over $100,000 to COVID relief efforts from food banks to our work at St. Anthony's North. For the last decade, we've, we've had a, a movement in Mali, West Africa, where we've been there on the, with the AIDS epidemic, building a clinic for people there so that they could get tested and treated for AIDS. That for the last four years, we've been on the ground in Lebanon, helping the Syrian refugee crisis, the greatest displacement of humanity since World War II. The impoverished, the poor are there. Even just in the last month, we're gonna give over $5,000 just in medical supplies to Lebanon so that they can have medicines that they need in this day. That every week, Pastor Rick meets with people and through our benevolence, that we're able to help people, local people with, with bills, electric bills, water bills, school bills for their kids, that we're able to help people. That as a church, that we've decided that we're turning one of our resources, one of the locations that God has given to us into a community center in order to help the needs of this community. That together, when we start with foundational principle, giving 101, that we get to experience what it looks like to truly be rich in, in light of God. But then the second thing that I would say, if you truly want to be generous, is to make a plan. To make a plan. That most of us, when it comes to, to our lives that we live, we all have like dreams of the future, don't we? And what I found in my life and true of most people's lives is that we are really good at planning to acquire more, aren't we? Like we sit down and we plan, how can I buy and afford this house? How can I buy my next car? How can I buy the TV that I want? That we're really good, we're really good at accumulating more. But here's the question. If you really wanna live a life of generosity, the question that you have to ask is this, is how can we plan not just to get more, but how can we plan to give more? How can we plan to give more? How can I plan to be more generous in my life? How can I rearrange my entire life since it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? 
Pastor Kim, the former senior pastor here at Crossroads, is my hero in this regard. That on top of his tithe, that he intentionally plans how to be generous in his life. And for a whole season of his life, he carried around $20 bills in his pocket. And if he saw someone in need, he would just give them that $20 bill. No questions asked. Like he planned, like I positioned myself multiple times, you know, like the guy in need, but no, I'm just kidding. So anyways, he would, he would, everywhere he went in life, everywhere he went in life, he'd just have $20 bills in his pocket. And if he saw someone need, no questions asked, he would just give it to them. Because he actually and really did believe that it was more blessed, that he was more happy, that he would experience more joy in his giving than in his receiving. And my encouragement for you is to sit down this week and go, here's my plan for generosity. I mean, so much of our lives, we live just accidentally in this world. Like, what if in this one area of our lives that we decided that we were going to live intentionally? We were going to come up with a plan to be, to be more generous. And what if in your plan you looked at it and said, you know what, this year on top of the tithe, I want to start supporting a compassion child. Or maybe I'm going to, I know that I'm going to receive a bonus from work this year, and part of that bonus I want to go to help something going on in Lebanon. Or maybe if you sell your house and you make a little bit of money, you go, you know what, I'm going to put that money towards an organization like Save Our Youth that's helping at-risk kids in our community. See, if you believe that it's truly, that you are more blessed to give than you are to receive, then what's your plan to be generous in your life? God says you want to start foundationally with the tithe, giving 101. But then you want to come up with a plan to be generous in other ways of your life. And as we walk through this, maybe today you walk away and you go, you know what, this has been really helpful. But let's just be real for a moment. Let's just be real for a moment. Every single one of us, every single one of us knows that our life does not consist in the abundance of our wealth. Every single one of us knows that to the core of our being, that our life does not consist of the abundance of the possessions that we have. So let's just make a deal. Let's just stop living that way. Let's just stop living like it actually does. And start living like your Savior is going to take care of you. I mean, he's already shown you that he will take care of you. And when we start to live generous lives, what we do is we actually start to reflect the heart of the God who loves us. Can I share just one more verse as we wrap up today? It's John 3, 16, pretty famous one. It says, for God so loved the world that God has loved every single one of us and he so loved us, look what he did, he gave, he gave, he gave his only son to people who were spiritually bankrupt. I mean, we were so bankrupt that we could not even pay the debt. We had no chance of paying the debt that our sin cost. That he loved us so much that he gave his son so that whoever calls out, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like that's the good news of God is that he did something for us that we could not do on our own, that we did not deserve, that we could not earn, that he, God, became a person in Jesus and that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins on the cross. And then three days later, Jesus rises from the grave and the tomb is empty. And he raised from the dead. Why? So that anyone who calls out, anybody who believes in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, that they would be saved. And for some of you, you recognize that if God gave his son for me, that my only response like the only rational response is to give my life to him.
That's what we call salvation. That's salvation in a nutshell. And if you'd like to talk more about what that looks like, you can simply text the word Jesus to 720-513-1933. And we would love to have that conversation with you. And so as I wrap this up, what I would encourage for every single one of us to do is stop living like it's all up to us. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions that we have in this life. It's not like air, it's not like food, it's not like water. Let's just start living as if money is what it actually is, a tool given to us by God to manage, to be managed by us so that when you receive a little more than you need, a little bit extra than you need, that you would give it to someone who's in need. And when you do, the promise of scripture is that as you live out that generosity, you will know what it means to be truly blessed, that you will know what it means to be truly rich in God's eyes. Before we go to communion, will you pray with me? Father, we bow our hearts and our heads before you. Lord, truly as an act of surrender. And Lord, you know what we all need it in this area. Lord, for too much of our lives, I would guess for most of us, that we view the extra that comes into us just like this man in the parable. That is for me, my wants, and my needs. And today, God, I would pray, I would pray that you would teach us to live lives of generosity. Lord, that we would begin with the tithe, that we would make a plan, And that through us, God, my prayer is that through this body of believers, that as we live lives of generosity, that people would look upon you and they would give thanks, knowing that it wasn't us, but it was you. That we would live lives that would truly communicate to the world that we believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And in doing so, that we would reflect the hearts of you, our Savior, our God, our Lord, who in you, Jesus, gave your life for us. May we never take that for granted. May our life, all of our life, even in our finances, be a demonstration of that spiritual reality. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we come around the table of communion And it was Jesus with his disciples saying that God has loved you so much that my body is being broken for you. And so today we eat and we remember God's love for each and every one of us. And in the same way with the cup, Jesus with his disciples says, this is my blood. This is your ticket to forgiveness. This is eternal life. And anybody who calls upon me, they shall be saved. And so today we drink in celebration of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And in that we sing and we pray. And so in our worship today, if you need prayer, I'd encourage you to make your way over to the banner online. You can click the button. If you're in house, I'm gonna encourage you to stand as we sing to our good Lord and Savior, Jesus, together.